Hello and welcome to YHTV's Magical Medical Tour. This is episode 35. I'm Christina Suzuma, and here with me is our wonderful medical guide, Dr. Glenn Woolman. Hello, Doc. Hello, Goo. <laughs> What's up, Doc? <laughs> <laughs> How are you today? Good. Were you howling with the full moon the other day? Uh, I always howl with full moons. I am a moon child. Uh, did you howl this morning? That moon was brilliant in the sky this morning. Mm, there's been a lot of great sky for the last week or so. Thank goodness. Thank yeah, goodness we're not, we're, not, we're not going through what the East Coast is going through. Yeah, we should send good energy mm. out there yeah. uh, and hope. I know there's people that need some healings right now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So from Magical Medical Tour and Trinity of Life, we should send some healings in that direction. We're yes. thinking about them. Yes, absolutely. You know, in thinking about Magical Medical Tour, we're going to go off into another tour this week, uh, another quadrant of the galaxy. Uh, we've been focusing mainly on healers, but I thought as part of what we really want to do on this show is show all aspects of the Magical Medical Tour. And one important part has to do with those that are uh, needing to be healed and those that have been healed. And so today, uh, we're going to be interviewing a very special person. He's a retired professor of theater. His research was in theater anthropology. He's a professional director, uh, designer, and actor. And he's currently the executive artistic director and founder of a regional uh, theater outside of Aspen, Colorado. And he's also my friend of 53 years. Uh, this is Lon Winston. Say hello to Christina, Lon. Hello, Christina. Hello, Lon. Thank you so much for honoring us here on the Magical Medical Tour. Well, thank you for having me. Lon, usually we, uh, as the medical guide, I like to tell our viewing audience, our global uh, participants, the path that we're going to take. And this is going to be a completely different path uh, than we've done uh, with many of our past episodes working with healers. We're going to look at things from a different point of view. And knowing that you are an artist and a creator and an actor and a director and a study of anthropology, all of these things I think will come into play today as we go through your journeys of uh, being diced diagnosed with uh, various types of cancer. How's that sound for you? <laughs> I'm leaving. <laughs> he did say, he did say diced. <laughs> yeah, yeah, diced. That's right. right. How many parts? <laughs> <laughs> many, as, as we will probably learn. Oh. Uh, it's, yes, and, and I guess we're setting the tone already that, uh, you know, the title of this is Cancer, Is It a Word or a Sentence? And I like to think that we're going to look at that from many aspects today, including uh, humorous ones. So I, I, I want to start out pretty quickly because we have a lot to cover, and I know that you will have great things to say in many different areas. But right at the beginning, you were diagnosed with, uh, not the beginning of time, but just in the beginning of your cancer uh, journey. You were diagnosed with a few simple skin cancers that were relatively easily treatable, one more uh, difficult than the other. But what was your first experience with hearing the words, you have cancer? Well, first, I was wondering how come you weren't getting them, and I was since we grew up in the same sunshine. <laughs> but, <clears throat> you know, actually, the, the skin cancers, uh, when they were first uh, mentioned to me, didn't really um, uh, hit me hard, which which is interesting because growing up in Miami and then living out here uh, near Aspen, it's the two worst places. And so I kind of expected it at some point. I mean, friends and relatives all over Miami were getting things frozen off and biopsied and I just kind of figured that one day that was going to come my way. Um, and it did. And you went through it. And just to move quickly through this, is there anything you would say to people now 
Uh, would you say don't enjoy the sun like I did? Don't use the baby oil and iodine and every other <laughs> <laughs> mythological way to get a little more tan? Would you well, change and, that? And yes, yes. I mean, we we also we both worked on the beach. Um, we were in the sun all the time, and really the damage happens when you're really young. And I hmm. peeled, burned, and peeled. From the time I was four years old, you know, all through my teenage years, uh, blistering and feeling. I mean, and how dark can you get? No, I would take a different path today. We mm. learned a lot. You know, my parents smoked cigarettes. I didn't because we learned a lot. Um, so it's, um, yeah, I would definitely take a different, a different path. I don't go outside to work even up here without long sleeves on and, you know, uh, major creams on my face and arms and legs. Yep. So moving on, knowing that you are someone who loves sports and especially endurance sports and you have great cardiovascular, you do alpine skiing, cross-country skiing, snow uh, shoeing, uh, kayaking, canoeing, mountain hiking. Uh, all of the things that you do are endurance. And I'm bringing this up because I know you're on a mountain one day uh, with some friends that uh, seemed to change your life. Want to tell us about it? We were hiking from Aspen over to Crested Butte. You have to go up over West Maroon Bell um, Pass. It's about 12,000 feet, a little wow. above. And we've done that hike often. And we were uh, talking and walking, and all of a sudden, things started to change. My friends were way out in front of me. My wife passed me with her girlfriend. And pretty soon I realized that they were totally out of sight. And I was like going, okay, I can get to that rock. I can get to the curve in the trail. And by the time I got to the top of the pass, they were all sitting around eating lunch and I went up to Deborah, my wife, and I said, you know, I'm in trouble. And I didn't know what it was, but I ached all over. I, hard, I could hardly breathe. And as we started to head down to Crested Butte, I started feeling a little better because we were descending and I was getting more oxygen and it was feeding my body. And we were fine in Crested Butte that night, but I was still uh, fatigued and tired. And then uh, we came back home. And it was over the next couple of days that it really started to, to hit me. And what hit you? Well, <clears throat> we were cleaning up. Um, on our land, we have 10 acres and there's always a lot to do in the fall. And this was um, September. Uh, it was after Labor Day. About how long and ago? I was standing in the middle of the driveway, just staring at the ground. And Deborah said, is something wrong? And I said, I, I don't know what I'm doing. I, I can't even take a step. I'm just sort of in a fog. And so I went in and, um, you know, she felt my head temperature, maybe we've got something. And I called the doctor and uh, he said, have you taken your temperature? And I said, no, I, you know, I felt it. I don't feel warm. He said, well, take take your temperature and um, and call me back. And so I took my temperature and it was 102. And I didn't feel it. And that was very strange for me. And so I went in to see him the next day and he did blood tests. And then he called me on the phone and he said, this is a little over my head, Lon. You have no white blood cells, zero. And my um, H&H, &H, my hematocrit, was um, like 20, 21 hemoglobin. Am I, did I reverse these? Hemoglobin. Yeah, did, that's all right. Yeah. No, you got it. The, the was 6.2. Oh, 
normally would be 12 to 14, maybe 15, and the hematocrit might be up in the 40s for yes. those that are listening. So I was I was less than half of both, really. Um, <clears throat> and he said, "You, we booked you into the hospital. And I went down and checked in. That was actually uh, <clears throat> three years before 9-11. It was 9-11-1998. It was your own 9-11. My own 9-11. That's right. So they put you in the hospital, but they didn't know what was wrong right away. How did they How did they figure out what was wrong with you? You know, usually well, when someone can't breathe or something, they right. think of the heart and the lungs, and you were an endurance guy. They put me, yes, exactly. And and my doctors, I mean, they, they know me. I mean, right. we, you know, we all are into sports and activities and um. I was put into reverse isolation and they did uh, more blood tests and the uh, pathology, uh, the pathologist at the hospital could not find it. And so they sent my samples to the Mayo Clinic and it came back from them. They had the correct stains and they were able to find what I was diagnosed, finally diagnosed with. And this is which, part of. This is part of the magic of the medical tour for me that uh, somebody comes into a hospital and people start working on them to try and find something. And they even work with people in hospitals from other parts of the country. You know, so doctors and scientists and, and lab techs were taking a, a look at your blood and preparing it in a way that someone could help you in a diagnostic process, which would then hopefully mean some kind of a treatment. So they they come in and who was the one that talked to you and how did they tell you what was going on finally where you had this diagnosis? How long was it also while Two you were weeks. in the hospital? Two weeks Two in weeks. reverse isolation. Yes. And, and that means to uh, people, let me just explain that. That means sure. to people uh, that were worried about Lon's infectious process, his immune system. So Lon was okay to be where he was in the room, but anybody that would come in the room had to be masked and gowned and and very carefully uh, selected to see if they could go in the room because without knowing what was going on, we didn't want to bring in any uh, other disease states. So continue, Correct. Lon. So <clears throat> the um, I was taking a little nap and I opened my eyes and uh, Dr. Kathy Hassel who is the uh, oncology hematologists out of Denver, uh, comes up to the valley and does a tumor board um, at, the, at the hospital. And she had long blonde hair. She was in blue jeans with a carabiner hanging on her <laughs> belt with keys. And I, I looked at her and I went, excuse, excuse me. Um, and... She said, I have good news and I have bad news. And just the fact that she said, I have good news, um, instead of sitting down and saying, I only have bad news, um, was a little lift up for me. And you needed it. Yeah. And she said, um, you have uh, a very rare leukemia called hairy cell leukemia. and um, and we have the magic bullet for it. And so that was, you know, good and bad news. Um, and the, the, a treatment for it was a, um, complete immersion, uh, 24 seven for one week of a chemotherapy called two CDA. And it was injected into me. And literally for one week, 24 hours a day, bag after bag after bag uh, was flushed through my system. Mm. While I was uh, in the room, they told me, you know, you're going to get tired. You're going to this, you're going to that. And I said, you know, we need to you need to help me with this because um, I can't just lay here and let this happen to me. I have to be. I have to have some control o over what's going on. They brought me in a stationary bike. I rode 15 miles a day um, while I was IV'd 
to the two CDA. I figured out a whole series of asanas for my yoga to do on the bed, holding onto the bed, in bed, on the chair, because obviously I couldn't um, lie on the floor. And and that was that was a good thing. And I did that for the seven days and they sent me home with a um, very low blood count um, after having, you know, it was even worse than if it could have been uh, worse than what it was when I went in. But um, then they sent me home and and it, uh, things started happening <laughs> that were not good after I got home. Do you want before, me to go? No, before you do that, uh, a lo- a- when you, again, you were diagnosed with a cancer, what was what went through your mind at that moment, other than good news and bad news? You you yeah, heard again. I'm scared it, to death. Yeah, you I'm heard it was cancer. This, in this, wasn't, time. this wasn't a basal cell carcinoma, um, you know, on my hairline. This was um, this was serious. And of course, I um, I got my laptop, uh, brought it in and you know, knowledge is power. And I. Um, I feel really comfortable researching and knowing and had an incredible support team, you uh, and my brother who uh, researched every drug that I have taken over the last 15 years Mm. on the pros, the cons, um, you know, from a biochemical, toxicological point of view, you from, you know, treatments and and choices. Um, So I had a, a pretty extensive a support team behind me in terms of gaining knowledge. In fact, um, my doctor in uh, in Glenwood uh, said there's probably nobody in the state of Colorado who knows as much about hairy cell leukemia as I do. I told him to invite me to the tumor board. <laughs> <laughs> Little did you know the foreshadowing there. That's so- right. You alluded to the fact that you got home not feeling well, but they they felt they had done what they needed to do at this point and sent you home to have your recovery and healing. How'd Correct. that go for you? It didn't go well. Um, I came home. I had my mask, uh, went for walks um, around the land and uh, woke up two days later uh, hallucinating with 106.2 temperature. And um, Deborah has very funny stories around that. It wasn't very funny to me, but um, she said, I'm taking you to the hospital. And I said, no, I'm not going there. She said, well, I'm going. (laughs) So yeah, you're going to be home alone or you're going with me. And I I had contracted cryptococcal meningitis. Uh, which is a fungal meningitis, which is not unlike what's hitting our country right now that we've all been reading about from the tainted um, steroids from, you know, that's been going around like 13 states now. And it's very, very difficult to treat. And I was, um, they brought my temperature down with ice blankets at the hospital now I was past scared because I really didn't know where I was and what I was doing. There was a period of a couple of days where um, I didn't know anything. It was almost like being in a coma. And they ended up, um, my doctor came in and, and again, I heard now from another tier of doctors that um, it, was, it was over their head. So I had heard it from the initial diagnosis, you know, to that I didn't have uh, blood <laughs> and then to to this, to this moment. And I was air backed um, down to Denver uh, on a small emergency plane and brought to the uh, CU, the Colorado University Hospital in Denver, where I was treated for cryptococcal meningitis. And this is where Gary, my brother, uh, stepped in again with phone calls to the doctors there because the the drug is amphotericin, 
uh, ampho, the terrible, they call it. Mm. But there was also a flucytosine, which was another drug. And they were experimenting in other parts of the country with a cocktail between the two drugs. And my brother spoke to the doctors and said, the results have been very, very positive. I want you to treat my brother with the cocktail. And they did. And eight days later, I left the hospital and went back up and continued treatment for another month uh, as an outpatient at the hospital and recovered from the cryptococcal meningitis uh, more quickly than most people. And most people do not recover from cryptococcal meningitis. Um, they were they were pretty amazed um, that I had recovered from it. In fact, I went in for a physical uh, with a new doctor uh, a couple of months ago. And he said to me, you're the first person I've ever met who's gone through this and that I'm talking to. Um, basically, you're alive. So the so, antifungal medications worked and thanks to your brother and the other people that were taking care of you, many different people Deborah taking care of you. Um, how, how, was the, um, how was the cancer? At this point, let's fine. not forget. <laughs> no. Cancer was fine. It was good. Loved it. <laughs> Dang, it was, I mean, I always like to do things the best possible way. <laughs> um, so the after. So now I had spent. Now we were like moving into. By the time I was finished being treated up here as an outpatient. Two and a half months had gone by, and we were moving into Thanksgiving and Christmas time. And um, my white blood count and my red blood count were starting to um, come back. And my absolute neutrophil uh, count was starting to reach a point where um, I was being a little bit protected. And and that's a good sign because that means those little baby white blood cells um, are happening. You know, they're not there yet, but but they're happening in the marrow. And so my blood seemed to be recovering. And um, that, uh, you know, that was a, a great thing for my head um, to be able to. OK, OK, I can do this. And then, you know, in my in my research, Glenn, as I was looking through it, I started to understand that hairy cell leukemia may not, in fact, really be a leukemia. Um, it's a it's certainly a blood disorder, a mutated white blood uh, disorder. But they're thinking of it more as a lymphoma of the blood as opposed to in the categories of leukemia. But they call it leukemia, as you know, it, if it's in the blood and it's a tumor, it's a leukemia. Right. So, so you're at, at some point you you were in a, a remission. Didn't you go to a remission point where I, you. My blood came back um, and I proceeded uh, to live a pretty normal life for the next eight years. Um, my blood levels were all uh, normal, uh, low. Low, and that's another aspect of this, which you're aware of, of how many years I was told that I was just anemic by my doctors, and and the um, my doctors today say that I was not anemic because of iron deficiency. You know, eat more raisins. Um, it was clearly I've, I've this. They don't know where it comes from. They don't know how it starts. They don't know what causes it. Um, I probably had hairy cell leukemia um, for many, many, many years, long before anybody even knew hmm. that I had it, and actually longer before they categorized it as a, a hairy cell leukemia. I mean, uh, so many leukemias um, have been um, kind of uh, discovered um, and all require different treatments as opposed to just that general um, treatment for all leukemia. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, discovery always going on, as we'll speak about in a little while, in the research area of cancers and leukemias and treatments and ways of looking at them. So your 
you're feeling better. Life is getting back to a little bit of normal, right. and you do, and you're doing things, and uh, you're starting to feel a little comfortable in the fact that life's okay again. Did it? I made it. Then what happened? Well, it came out of remission. Um, mm. My wife, my accounts started to drop. And so they treated me uh, with the 2CDA again. There are other uh, treatments, interferon and some other um, drugs that they're using, but the most um, common one for hairy cell leukemia is 2CDA. And since I had taken to it so well the first time, they treated me with it a second time. And But the protocol over the eight years uh, that I was in remission had changed. So um, I was treated uh, one day a week for two hours for six weeks instead of 24 hours a day for seven days. So it, it doesn't go in and annihilate your immune system the way it did the first time. And that was pretty magical. Yeah. And uh, went went through that, and the um, and that that didn't last very long. That lasted a couple of years, um, and then it came out of remission again. So we had yeah. to, at that point, start to look for other other ways to go about this treatment, just with the medications that were out there. So uh, this is where I think uh, your brother Gary comes in again. Comes in again. Gary uh, started doing some research. You know, he's um, he's able to go to websites that I can't go to, and uh, he found out uh, that there was a clinical trial at the National Institutes of Health in Bethesda, Maryland, under uh, Doctor Robert Kreitman, and they were doing um, some cutting edge. Uh, drug therapy on uh, hairy cell leukemia. And I went out there for a, a battery of tests. They have certain protocol because the um, pharmaceutical company that's supporting their research, it's not just everything is government at NIH. I mean, they are obviously getting grants outside the government as well. And the uh, pharmaceutical company had their own criteria. And so um, I, I went out for the series of tests because I couldn't use the drug that they were experimenting with if I didn't have a specific protein on my white blood cells that allowed the drug to attach to the white blood cells, smart bonds. You've all, you know, everybody's aware of chemotherapy moving into the smart bomb uh, area. Um, unlike our government, who hasn't figured out smart bombs yet. But the, um, I happen to have that protein. And, uh, and I was very lucky. I and mean, there's a lot of people that have hairy cell leukemia that don't have that protein. They have other proteins. And I have the protein that it attached to. So it attaches to it and it implodes it. It keeps it from dividing. And um, and I was able to, I got accepted into the clinical trial and proceeded to uh, begin uh, that whole process. And, <clears throat> and then I got, very similar to the uh, cryptococcal meningitis, something else sort of sneaked in and and took the day. Uh, do you want me to go there? No, not yet. Uh, okay. I That's think why we're having, I'm doing it in segments. Right. We're having way too much fun with your <laughs> leukemia. Uh, I don't want to leave that right away. No, no, no. Um, you know, let's talk about making a decision to be in a clinical trial. Uh, this is very important. It's almost, a, in my mind, it's a living version of organ donation, where people that do this are are willing to try something. You know, of course, it's a point where they they already know that there are relatively safe features about it. And now they're looking to really refine things. But there is sort of a 
a mystery part of this that they don't know all of the things. That's why it's still research. So when a person make, has to make that decision to go into a clinical trial, that's usually many people have to make clinical decisions about cancer and they have to look at all options. And one of them certainly is a clinical trial, but not everyone uh, is necessarily appropriate for that. How did you determine that you were willing to be in a clinical trial? <clears throat> well, that's a really good question because you go through um, you go through a lot of thinking. Um, all of a sudden, you're not a patient; you're a white rat. And having um, you know, watching my brother deal with uh, white rats for um, umpteen years. You know, I know what happens to white rats. Right. Um, <laughs> and, and then I got, you know, the 75 page document, which I uh, sent to you, you know, on side effects. <laughs> you know, this is not the side of an aspirin bottle. You know, it's um, literally 75 pages of every conceivable thing to you having to sign away your life. I mean, basically, that's what you're doing. That's the that's the scary side of it from from one point of view. The, especially, the others, let me huh? just add, especially yeah. if you're a person that has a monkey mind. And I I am the king of monkey minds. <laughs> um, you know, there's <laughs> there's no question about that. Um, a lot of people have a song in their head. You know, I don't. I have conversations in my head. Um, and if I could put it to music, we would have found our safety pin a long time ago. But um, I think that the the other side of the coin for me is that I um, I love research. It doesn't matter what discipline uh, you're in. I mean, I, you know, in my field, I do as much research as an artist, as a theater person um, who also investigates the anthropological implications of theater throughout history. I love research. I love discovery. And so th that part of me wanted to be part of this, wanted to be able to contribute to somebody else's research, especially since I was going to be the recipient of uh, hopefully good news. So, um, and I, you know, there were alternatives, but the alternatives weren't necessarily um, uh, high notes to what I might be going through. I, um, I was ready to do this. So, you know, I went from the freak freaking out moment to, you know, the white rat syndrome to, I can contribute, uh, something to, um, medicine and to the world this way. And, um, and, and that made me feel good. It, it actually brought me to it with a little, uh, positive, um, atmosphere and milieu and around that, I think, is part of where I, um, where and how I heal. And mm -hmm. so um, it was all good. So you're, you enter into a protocol and in to get into this thing, you know, just, just as a quick aside, let mm -hmm. people know some of the kind of things. Most people go uh, in for their physical exam and they get they have to get some blood tests, so they get two or three tubes of blood and the urinalysis and things like that. Right. Uh, you had a little more than that, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, each each time, um, biannually, um, 26 tubes of blood uh, taken um, for, you know, every kind of test there is. But also, I'm donating blood to the research. So there's things that are definitely identified just for me, the drugs I'm taking and what's going on with me personally, but it's also blood that's helping uh, Dr. Kreitman do further research to take the clinical trial, which is now, I think, in phase four. Um, so the drug has changed dramatically over the last um, three to four years. 
when uh, you were you went on to the protocol and it required what was it five different doses? Well, actually, some people have gone through ten. It's um, you go out there and you're treated, and then you have a day off, and then you're treated, and you have a day off, and then you're treated, and you go home, and you come back a week later. And I did that um, twice. The they like you to go through it five times. Um, there have been, from my understanding, there are patients uh, that that they have that have gone through it. Um, 10 times. So you're there for your second time feeling pretty good. They seem to be getting some good results. But before you went there, uh, it was flu season. It was flu season and I got a flu shot and um, my uh, lymph node in my neck um, swelled up on me. And um, I called my doctor here and I said, um, you know, I've got this little lump in my neck on my um, left side. He said, uh, what side did you get the flu shot on? I said, my left arm. He said, you know, there people get reactions to flu shots and it affects the lymph node in your neck. Uh, I wouldn't worry about it. Uh, you know, you, you tell me not to worry about something is saying worry, <laughs> worry. <laughs> and the monkey mind starts to go. Um, and I actually, I had that, ended up having that lump for almost three months before I went out in uh, February for my initial tests. And uh, when I got there, <clears throat> you know, I told them everything that was going on with me. I mean, they wanted to know everything. And they felt it. And, you know, I told them what my doctor said. And um, and they said, um you know, we we should maybe we should biopsy it because now we come back to the pharmaceutical company. You can't uh, be involved in the clinical trial if there's any other kind of cancer that you have in your body. Um, they were even concerned about, you know, the basal cell. Um, I had a little squamous um removed on the, t you know, side of my nose. And, um, you know, today we think that all of these things are under the umbrella of my weakened immune system because of the um, hairy cell leukemia. It allowed them to set in. We'll get to the other with you in a, in a minute, I'm sure. So they, they um, aspirated it and they did it four times uh, into the lump. and. I had already gone through one treatment and it um the first three aspirates were perfectly clear and so they went ahead with the second treatment for the and, leukemia for the leukemia yes, right yeah uh, the clinical trial the for second hairy cell leukemia for the HCL and then they um the the pathologist just you know maybe had a few extra minutes there in the lab and decided to check the fourth aspirate and did and called Dr. Kreitman and said there's suspicious cells uh, in the fourth aspirate and then they decided that they needed to um, go in and biopsy the um the lymph node and in doing that i had to you know go through surgery they opened up my neck and took out a bunch of lymph nodes and but i was told you know not to worry 97% chance that it's just a cyst that you know that given the fact that the first 3 and you know were clear and blah 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 and um, they removed the nodes, and um, they weren't clear. Mm. Do you want to ask a question? <laughs> <laughs> you want to call the audience or ask a friend? Oh. Yeah. So you, you went into surgery. You came out of anesthesia, and uh, you were told by whom, and what were you told? The surgeon. 
the surgeon that they had sent the um, lymph nodes to the uh, pathology uh, department, and uh, it came back that I had um, squamous cell carcinoma tumor on the back of my tongue, way, way, way down. Actually, they couldn't find it. They went in and, and looked around after they got the report back from the pathology while I was still um, under anesthesia. And the uh, they yanked my tongue out of my <laughs> mouth as far as they could to get to the very back spot that's even behind the glottal, I mean, all the way down. And there was a tiny little tumor on the back of my tongue about maybe half the size of your uh, baby fingernail. Um, but it had gone to the lymph system and that was the same uh, cells that they, that they got. And so they told me that, and I was still in a kind of groggy stupor and they brought me back to my room. I didn't know any of the implications of any of this. I was just told that I had this, little um tumor on the back of my tongue you know squamous in my head a squamous cell i mean that you know a little squamous cell you know you go in they burn it off my tongue and i'm gonna be fine uh not the same thing not the same thing don't take care of tumors on the tongue <laughs> right and uh at this point so you got two pieces of information that were important i think one you're now out of the clinical trial for your leukemia. Correct, because you can't treat me for the squamous, which in many ways was far more dangerous and life-threatening than the hairy cell leukemia. Wow. So what was the plan now? And you well, talked to the doctor there. That yes, the doctor came to my room at the NIH hospital, magnificent hospital, and she said to me, I, I asked her uh, what the prognosis was, and she said, um, all comers, stage four. I said, stage four? You told me it was a tiny little, she said, size has nothing to do with it. It's metastasized to your lymph system. When it does that, we call it stage four. Mm. And um, all comers, you have two to five years. And I, you know, I mean, wham, you know, it's like Muhammad Ali took me out with one punch. And I, um, I said, uh, I don't, I don't think so. I, uh, I'll take care of it from this point on. And we left and we went back and I made an appointment with, um, Dr. Patty Hardenberg, who is the, um, Wow, an amazing doctor. Um, if you Google her sometimes, she's unbelievable. They headhunted her, I think, from Duke University to the Vail Shaw Cancer Center. And I made an appointment with her and went in and told her the whole she's chief of ra of radiation at the at the clinical at the center, Shaw Cancer Center. And she listened to the whole story that we've just gone through. I mean, literally the hairy cell leukemia, the whole thing. And she said, <clears throat> this is highly curable. Hmm. And I'm, I'm not going to tell, it's going to be like going through hell. I'm not going to tell you everything that you're going to go through because you won't come back. Um, I said, I'll come back. Believe me. Uh, <laughs> and, um, And she she started treating me. And again, it was another uh, chemotherapy, which is a smart bomb that attacks only the squamous. I was put through the PET scan to show that it hadn't gone anywhere. It was nowhere in my body except for on the tongue and that little bit of um, area where they had taken out the lymph nodes. And I went, they... One of the things they had to do was insert a stomach tube for feeding. Um, I fed myself through this tube for three months. Um, they told me that I, I, and you know this, I was off of that 
faster than any patient that they had before. I was their poster boy, which is what they refer to me as. uh, And I went in and had another PET scan uh, two and a half years out from the treatment. And uh, Patty said to me, I don't use this word often, but we cured you. And that was the squamous. So, so I only you... ended up with two hairy cell treatments instead of the five, but the two wiped it out of me. There were no signs of it in my blood, no signs of it in my marrow. Um, up until four or five months ago. So it was, it went into a complete remission. Um, in April, it showed up in my bone marrow and I just went in for my 26 tubes and it's nowhere in my blood. Hmm. It, it, they've got patients that hairy cell has returned to the marrow and 10 years later, it's still not in the blood. So we're just on that phase and I think of hairy cell leukemia the way some people might think of diabetes. It's a chronic illness. There's treatments for it. If you go to the Mayo Clinic website under hairy cell, it says excellent um, in terms of uh, prognosis of the disease because of treatments that are uh, currently um, going to the FDA to become uh, they're available to everybody. And HA22, which is the drug that I had at uh, NIH, is listed as one of like the top three uh, drugs. Hmm. So. Ooh, you've been through quite a journey over there. Yeah, it's um, it's it's pretty interesting on where it takes where it takes, you know, it it drives sometimes and sometimes it sits in the back seat and i drive mm-hmm. uh, and the the support system the people i had around i mean one of the nurses that took care of me uh here um that's been taking care of me for 15 years now her name is terry nightingale isn't that incredible fantastic <laughs> I love yeah and she's she's a a, a doll um but it's uh it's it's being open it's being open to everything not not locking yourself in with blinders that i can only be treated this way this way or this way that you know literally you got to know when to take out the heavy artillery and you have to know when to mix in um some of the spiritual and holistic um ideas and entities into your life and be really positive and mm-hmm. so so now that they've detected it in your bone marrow are you going back for treatments again no no that's see here's where you go we go back to the initial question about the skin cancer um the hairy cell leukemia um it, is the thing that brought my immune system down so low that it um it opened up the door for these opportunistic uh, diseases mm-hmm. to come in and to grab to grab hold. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one of the downsides of a cl- the clinical trial because you you can't be treated until it's in your blood, not in your marrow, and your ANC, your absolute neutrophil count, is below one, mm-hmm. which is not good, and that opens you up to other diseases, and so. Somewhere along the line in the next several years, I'm going to have to make a determination of whether I want to wait for my blood to get so low in protection to get the next treatment, unless they change the protocol, which can happen also over the years. Um, then I may I may choose a different something new on the block that can start to help me without waiting for my blood to get so low. Clearly, I don't have a great track record in when letting my blood levels go down so low that I'm unprotected. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and what about um, like the Eastern medicines, like acupuncture and, and herbs and 
those forms. Did you integrate yeah, that into you know, your system? You know, it's um, the uh, I didn't do acupuncture. We talked about it. Glenn and I talked about it. I went to an acupuncturist and talked about when I had the throat to ease the pain and, and everything going through radiation in my throat, third degree burns on my neck. Oh, it was it was horrendous. Nobody wants you don't want to go through that. But it cured me. Um, I mean, that that was the thing. Um, There were um, embracing, embracing all that's available to you, exploring it. I didn't say, no, I don't want to do acupuncture. I went to one. I talked to them. What's could Can this help? Can it? And and I made informed choices and Mm -hmm. left everything uh, open to that. Certainly uh, the care that I had at home from my wife was phenomenal. I mean, I don't know how you, somebody can go through what I went through without having that level of, of support and, and friends. Um, My partner who came to the hospital every day and read to me from plays and every day, you know, just to, to visit, to change your head, to, you know, um, so it, it's all good. It's all good. I, I feel really positive. I feel like I have a condition, you know, and it's going to be there probably all my life. I doubt that it'll kill me. Uh, something else will. Um, and that seems to be the the general consensus among um, the doctors and the research scientists. <clears throat> As as a thespian, it's almost like you're playing all these different roles and different parts of your life, one after the other, and you're just kind of overcoming it. It's done. I'm moving on. That's- you know, yeah. And I mean, they're all there. I mean, at least from my sense of what uh, a true acting is, mm-hmm. they all live inside me. Um, they're not pretend stuff. And so it's just a matter of, of getting to it and revealing it. So um, I got to some interesting uh, people living inside. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Lon, we uh, always ask our healers for a health tip uh, from their point of view. But I think it would be very interesting today for our viewers uh, from the point of view of someone who has been healed and also who is a healer. Uh, Do you have a health tip for us? You know, um, a a lot of what I've just been talking about, I think, falls into that category. I think that it's really about being open uh, to absolutely everything, not not saying no. um, I'm not going to do that. Or I heard that was a do your own research and knowledge is power. And I I know what I have. I know what it does in my body. I know the drugs that I've taken, and I know what those drugs have done. And the uh, the important thing is to be open and to accept uh, all of those um, those things. Keep a smile on your face uh, through it all. Um, you know, laughter is a great healer. Uh, I had a, a friend of mine who came into, uh, you'll love this, Glenn, I think I might have told you, he came into my room when I was in reverse isolation um, in his gown and mask and everything with nose and glasses on and a cigar. And he said, this isn't one of those uh, homeopathic moments, is it? <laughs> you know, and it, um, you know, made me laugh. You know, I love that. And um so I think that just just being open and gaining the knowledge and accepting it all and um, t- being thankful to uh, every everything that comes your way that can be a healing uh, thing uh, is important. Important. I have a I had a woman brought me crystals. Uh, I you know when I was in the hospital. Do you mind if I leave these with you? You know, no, no, bring them. Um, I had people of different religious persuasions asking me, can I pray for you? Well, duh, <laughs> you know, I, I want the prayers coming in every variety they are. I don't have the answers. I want the prayers. And um, to listening really carefully to every doctor, you know, this is this is what we can do. This is or we can't do. 
mm-hmm. and accepting it and and moving on from there. Yeah, that's very good. So I think in my mind, uh, the question is cancer a word or a sentence. Uh, it can be either depending on your way of looking at it and the choices that uh, one makes. So I would like to know as a creator uh, and an actor, do you have a poem you would like to share with us, maybe about your illness? Funny you should ask that. Let me pull one up here for you. <clears throat> I wrote this. Yeah, I do. I do. And I do write poetry. And I, um, I wrote this one uh, a few months ago. Seasoned Traveler. I've been to hell and back a few times. Not the biblical place, not the medieval image place, not even the irony of the Bosch metaphor place, although I love the garden of earthly delights. My hell is under the skin, having a swimmingly good time in my blood. But I know how to get back. I memorized my way back. I also put, excuse me, I also put breadcrumbs out. Take no chances. I followed them carefully because I'm a seasoned traveler. Mm. Wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. Lovely. Thank you. Thank you. Ah. I hope that, um, you know, I've watched most of the shows that you guys have done, um, especially my family members. (laughs) And I think that, um, I just hope that that this uh, helps, that it reaches out to uh, people um, from a little different point of view than the healer, um, the healee. <laughs> mm-hmm. And um, it's good. This was good. I'm glad we did this. Yes, me too. And I would like to personally, and on many levels, thank my dear friend, Lon Winston, for sharing his journey, his wisdom, his expertise with us in such a a beautifully dramatic manner. Uh, we know that this will help people that uh, watch this, not even just today, but into the future. And I would like to wish everyone uh, a good week as we go into another journey traveling through the healthcare galaxy. So before we leave, I would like to say thank you, Christina, and I would like to wish you all optimal health. Thank you, Lon. Thank you. Thank you, Lon. That's Thank you so much for just sharing your experience with all of us. I, I think, I don't think, I know the reason why we do these shows is so that others can can hear and listen and be inspired by people like you. You know, sometimes that endurance and that stubbornness, I, <laughs> you oh, know, when, when you just say, no, I'm not going there. I think that's very, very inspirational, <laughs> not just giving in to what someone says, but just knowing within yourself the direction you want to go. Thank you for empowering others, you know, with your moment today. And you yeah. see, usually you would be on my show, <laughs> not on this show. Right, Glenn? <laughs> no. Because of, my, because of my yoga in the, in the hospital room. <laughs> um, no, actually, because, because I usually interview people who I have inspirational stories such as yours, you know, and, uh, but that's okay. I'll I'll share some people with Glenn. No. <laughs> and you know, I do think it's important for people to be really healthy. You never know when something is going to happen. And one of the things all my doctors said to me is you're getting through a lot of what you're getting through because you're so damn healthy, mm-hmm. which is kind of ironic. You've got cancer. Um, but M- many cancers. Many. <laughs> yeah. But the, it started on a good platform. Exactly. Exactly. And that's that's really important. Absolutely. That's why I I always talk about preparatory medicine, not just preventive medicine. Mm -hmm. You have to be prepared. Yeah, completely agree. Well, thank you so much, gentlemen. And thank you to all of you who continue to support us here on YHTV. We invite you to join us every Tuesday at 10.30 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, 1.30 Eastern Time uh, for a magical medical tour. And, of course, um, at 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time at 2 p.m. Eastern Time for Trinity of Life. 
Um, you can find Dr. Glenn Woolman at myyogahub.com forward slash G Woolman and on Twitter at Glenn Woolman, one word. And of course, through his own site, glennwoolman.com, where you can learn about his metaphor square breath. I'm sure Lon used that quite often, huh, Lon? <laughs> As part of the yoga. Okay, thank you. And until the next time, namaste. Namaste.